Hello and welcome to the Business of Authority. I'm Jonathan Stark. And I'm Rochelle Moulton. And today we're going to talk about working out your business model. Cool. Yes. I like this because it's both strategic and tactical. Mm, fun. Something fun for everyone. <laughs> so yeah, where did this come from? This came from a couple of different places, all sort of synchronicity-like. I had a call... Uh, I had a call with someone, whatever, and, you know, he was wrestling with some things and it felt like a business model issue to me. And we were talking before the show, you said you get a lot of questions around, um, you know, whether or not people should hire or, you know, these kinds of decisions, like how do you decide these kind of like fork in the road decisions? Do I go this way or that way? And it all, they all sort of seem to uh, center on or revolve around a business model decision, which is something I don't think we've talked about really before, at least uh, dedicated an entire episode to. Yeah, we've probably used the word <laughs> or the words, but I think that um, the, the question I get often is from soloists who are in their first few years and they're deciding, do I need employees? And I've, I've kind of heard it from both directions. One is, I think I'm ready to hire employees and, but am I really ready? And then the other is, I thought I was gonna hire employees, but now I'm looking at it going, I don't know if I really wanna do that. I don't know if that makes mm -hmm. sense for me for my next step. And sometimes that question is more a question of their skill set and comfort with the idea of hiring employees. And other times it's whether they can create a business that makes sense with leveraging employees. Mm. Yep, exactly. So what would, do you have like a definition of business model or like, how do you think of it? Well, you know, it's funny. I think, I think you shared with me like a Harvard Business Review article, which is, you know, this big, long thing about business models. And for our kinds of businesses, authority, expertise businesses, I think it's really simple. It's your plan for making money, right? Mm -hmm. It's your big picture plan and how you're going to make money. And if we really wanted to get fancy, depending on, uh, what you're doing in your business, like let's say you're a B Corp, you might want to also address how you're going to make an impact, you know, mm -hmm. from a business standpoint. But the real focus is how are you going to make money? So if, let me compare it to, if you're making widgets, right? If you're making widgets, you decide you're, you want to sell widgets. You have to decide, am I going to make them? Am I going to uh, buy the parts and assemble them? Am I going to pay somebody else to assemble them? Like, how am I going to make money from that? In an authority business, really, all you're trying to figure out is how will I make money from my expertise? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I, I don't know if it was that same article, but I came across a definition that says exactly, it means exactly what you just said. Uh, but it, it, I think it breaks it up in a way that I like the mindset. I like the mindset that it breaks it up, which was um, how are you going to create deliver and capture value mm. which touches on which is the same thing it's like how's the business going to make money but i like that it breaks it into those three phases they're sort of like um the create part is you know before the deliver part the create part is like uh, innovation r d you know like bring coming up with your intellectual property what is your big idea all of these things it's like what what's the expensive problem that i'm going to solve and then going out and solving it. So you deliver the solution in some way, whether it's however you package up your expertise, you would deliver it in some way. And then you capture some portion of the value you created for the buyers, mm -hmm. which, you know, it's exactly what you said, but I love that it breaks it into those phases and focuses on value creation and capturing a fraction of it. Um, 
it feels a little bit more specific to me that it triggers something different in my mind than just like sort of Milton Freeman or whoever it was that was like the purpose of a business is to make a profit for shareholders. And it's like, well, <laughs> okay. Well, it's the tie to value that I think is interesting because, mm-hmm. yeah, if we're not creating value, we're not going to make money for very long. Right. It's implied in in your version of the definition because you're not going to, right, you're going to go out of business if you're not creating value because people are right. like, that. Oh, everyone's going to be dissatisfied. I just like that it it, it makes it explicit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, so you need to have some kind of a plan. And then I separate that from the revenue model. To me, the revenue model is like how and what you charge. Like what are you actually going to create and what are you going to charge for it? You know, like that's different. So your value pricing model, for example, would come into the revenue the revenue model. So I'm I'm going to go through this process with my potential clients to figure out what I charge. Somebody else might say, I'm going to do hourly. <sighs> I'm going to do <laughs> retainer, right? It's, it's some sort of fee for service would be your business model, but how you actually charge for it, what you charge is revenue. Why do you separate the revenue model from the business model? What's the importance? I, of- the reason I've done that is is very practical. It's the clients that I've worked with over the years is that they tend to mix those things up and can't separate them. And it's really hard to make decisions about things if you can't separate them in your head. Mm-hmm. So that's that's the only reason why I do it. It's very practical. Yeah, because they're definitely mixed up in my head. Well, yeah. I mean, it's somebody will ask the question, well, should I hire employees or shouldn't I? It's like, all right, well, let's talk about what that is. So that's that's a business model decision. Am I going to have employees at all is a business model decision. You're not going to worry about the revenue yet. It's just, do I want to have employees? And then you go through the discussion about, well, what does that mean? What do I have to do? Um, what do I, how do I have to act? How do I have to think? Like, how does this change how I look at my business? Gotcha. And yeah, and then then we can talk about all the revenue stuff because you can't you can't talk about one without the other, right? But I like to separate them to get for for um, clients and and really soloists to get really clear about the distinction. It makes it easier to make a choice. Yes, I, I see that now. Okay, so what's the what would you say to someone if they were like, I think I'm ready to hire employees. You know, is if that's a business model change, like what, like I guess the first question is, what business model are they potent, considering changing to, and what, like from to, what are the two different business models in, in those yeah. in that situation? Yeah. So, so usually the first question is around, all right, so what is this employee going to do? Like, what is their job? Because you know, you're creating a job. And again, we're not talking about contractors here. That's different. We're talking about employees where you're going to take on, you know, an ongoing payroll expense. So what will they be doing? And of course, you know, the usual is that they've sold more work than they can deliver themselves. Mm -hmm. So like, okay, so I need to have an employee so I can leverage and this is part of my growth. And that can make sense in all kinds of situations, but not all. Mm-hmm. Right. Because as as I start to ask questions like, OK, so how do, are you ready to shift from doing the work? And that could even be strategy slash execution to supervising or better word, leading, even though mm-hmm. there's some management involved as well, to leading somebody else to do the work. And so if they've never done this before, um, I like to kind of give them an exercise to think through what would this be like? What would it feel like? What is it going to be day to day? And then, you know, as we start to get into the, 
you know, the risk side of hiring an employee, I'm not even talking employees, plural, just one, like, what does that look like? Is this a revenue generating employee or is this someone that you're pushing work down to? It's all those strategic kinds of questions um, mm-hmm. that we want to get really clear on. And sometimes what's really interesting is the person, you know, had a job in corporate land and they managed employees in that life. Yeah, and so that, right. so then the question is, well, how'd you do with that? You know, where, did you like it? Were you good at it? Were the employees happy? Did you sleep at night? I mean, there's there's a lot to be learned by what we've done in the past. Mm-hmm. Okay, so if we're gonna label those two things, so you've got a soloist. What 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 do you typically call that kind of author, speaker, consultant business model? Is it just the consulting business model, or like a soloist? Pretty much, or I'll say author, speaker, consultant. (laughs) I'll actually use all three words because you know they people know what they are. Right, right. And then the and then the question is, do I want to? I would call the agency model. Do I want to move into a situation where I've got an employee or employees that are doing the work that I used to do? Mm -hmm. So it's not it's not because it's like the question of what kind of employees you're going to hire. You could you could continue to be author, speaker, consultant. And have employees that do things like book your travel or, but they're not, exactly. they're not mini me's, right? They're not doing yeah. the stuff that you used to do. So that to me, that's, you could have employees, but still be the solo consultant really. And, and then this agency model where, like you said, and this is, this has been my experience with, geez, I, I mean, just going through the Rolodex, probably every firm I've ever worked with is that the the person started out as a freelancer or maybe a two two partners and and whoops we got too many clients and now we're working all the time i don't like working all the time uh it was easier when i was in-house than it is now it was less work when i was an employee so what do we do then the obvious <laughs> like the obvious thing is hire more hands so we can have less work, you know, delegate stuff from our plates to their plates or my plate to their plates. Mm -hmm. And doing that without thinking really hard about it is, I feel like always a mistake, you know, and and what should they think about the stuff that you just listed, right? Like, am I actually any good at this? Do I really want to be a boss or a leader? Or am I just doing this out of desperation? And really what I should do is start a waiting list for my clients and just say no to them. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, and then, okay, well, how do I grow? Well, there's another, you could use value pricing to increase the amount that you can charge, increase your profit margin. You can grow your business in a very straightforward, I almost said easy. It's not easy, but it's as easy as anything else. You just need to decide to go down that fork in the road and say, no, like me, no, no employees, period. Like Mm -hmm. that was a, that's a core value. (laughs) And, and not because it's bad, it's just not for me. And uh, yeah, there is no good or bad. There's no value judgment on this. Right. It's what's going to work for for you in that situation. Yeah. And when I went solo, my father was like, so, you know, it, it somehow came up and he's like, you're not going to hire any employees. And I was like, nope. <laughs> and he's like, well, how are you going to grow the business? And I was like, I'm going to get bigger clients and, and full stop. Like, and it works. <laughs> yeah. As long as you're not billing hourly is if you get bigger clients and you're solving bigger problems, you can set bigger price tags and it's another approach it's like a different completely different mindset than scaling your hands because you've got too much work and you want to delegate it to somebody 
Well, yeah. And and if you do want to scale with employees or you believe that you do, one of the first things that has to happen, and nobody ever wants to hear this, is that you have to create a job. Like you have to actually define what this person is going to do very Mm -hmm. specifically. And if they're going to take things off your plate, you have to make decisions before you hire on things like, you know, we talked about a mini me, but maybe they're a mini you in the sense of delivery, but they can't sell. Um, Do you need someone who can actually sell, who can step in for you, not a pure salesperson, but someone who can do both? Do you need someone who's what I think of as a closer, which is they not only know what they what they do, so they can do the work, but they understand enough that in a complex sale, they could actually you can bring them in and they can close it. So you open the door. And they walk through and close it and finalize the sale. So when you you really have to think about all those pieces and, you know, boy, does this sound familiar? Write them down, right? (laughs) Really, because this is what will help you because everybody makes a mistake and it's usually on our first hire. It tends to be our biggest mistake because we're not sure exactly what we're doing yet. We talk to somebody, we go, gee, they seem great and I'm too busy. So yeah, let's go. And by writing it down, and I used to do a a 90 day plan because if somebody's not going to make it, you're usually going to know in the first 90 days. So what's our plan together? What are what are you, employee, going to do in these first 90 days? How am I going to help you be successful? And these are all things we think of as, oh, those are things you do in a big company. <laughs> I'll just hire someone good and throw them to the wolves. Yeah. That's what happens. Yeah. yeah. And so this is, you will increase your chances for success by charting it out. But what I really love about the charting it out is I would say maybe half of the time people decide not to hire as they chart it out because or not to hire at this time because they're like, ah, I see what the issue is. I don't know that I have enough work to keep somebody busy who can only do the work. So mm-hmm. I need somebody who can do the work and sell the work, but I don't think I'm ready to invest in that person yet. You know, gee, to find somebody like that, it's going to be $200,000 a year. And I don't know if I'm ready to give up that much in order to do this. And then that's the person who might go, you know what? Maybe I'll just say no to a new client. Mm -hmm. Maybe I'll just raise my price to that new client, potential new client, and see if they take it. And then maybe I'll drop one of my clients who's driving me insane anyway. Mm -hmm. It just, it, it starts to get you thinking about other solutions than just kicking the can down the road. Right. Yeah, totally agree. Well, so what's another, so we've got sort of, I'd love to like make a list of business models for our types. So Mm -hmm. if we've got the, if we've got the, the, the author, speaker, consultant or coach, maybe author, speaker. Let's just call that an authority model because I think you know to, to do that, you really do have to have market authority. So let's call that the authority model. Perfect. Yeah, that's perfect. Uh, And then you've got the agency model. Agency model. Yep. We've got. The, the mini-me's, maybe they just do one kind of thing, but they're kind of doing the work that you, they're doing the, the delivery work that you used to do probably. Mm-hmm. At least that's what I see most common. And then what's, and then uh, product model is another one where uh, I would say that it takes time to transition to perhaps, I guess, but uh, that to me, that's a totally different, you're going to make a lot of different decisions if that's mm-hmm. your strategy, if you're going to be. Right. Yeah. And you might have employees 
in that and you might not. Right, right. But they'll be a different kind of employee because they'll have different kinds of jobs for them. Exactly. They're going to be more operation operations um, centric employees. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. So, what's that model look like for for an you know like an expert or an authority? It's it's probably you know if it's not the authority model with the books and the speaking and all that, it could be at least for my people, it could be a a SaaS where mm-hmm. they take their expertise, whatever it is. Uh, whether it's for, let's just say it's like uh, DevOps or something like that. And they create a product or a SaaS rather that helps people like continuously deploy or plug in for some, I don't know, Beanstalk or something. Uh, it could be a Shopify app that they make for, you know, maybe they had a client that was in the knitting space and like, oh, Shopify doesn't handle fractions. Let me make a, I'll make a Shopify plugin, 99 bucks a month. And that'll, you know, that'll just, sell and I'll probably need to hire what kind of people you might need to hire marketing type people. You might need to hire advertising type people. You might need to hire customer support type people, which are completely Mm -hmm. different kinds of people than you'd hire in, in the agency model or in the authority model. You know, they're, they're, you know, some of them are customer facing. First of all, you'd have customers, not clients. (laughs) Yeah. That's a big, yeah, that's huge. Uh, but some other other product. What are some other products? Uh, courses you could do big course launches. I'm thinking where we slot membership, and I guess you could argue that's a product. Uh, I, yeah, I think it's. I think that's a meaningful subset. I would categorize it as a product. I'd almost. I don't want to overdo it, but but that is kind of my superpower. So, <laughs> um, <laughs> I see membership as almost like its own category because it's pretty nuanced. But yeah, I would call it a product. This The selling of it, the delivery of it, all of that stuff. I don't know. It's a little bit more interactive though. Uh, well, I think the difference is probably is, is in our experiences because you're probably dealing with more SASs than I am. Not probably. There's no probably about it. I guarantee you're dealing with more of them than I am. Um, but membership is is interesting to me because – it borrows some things from the authority model, mm-hmm. but there's some very specific operational kinds of things that impact how you market, how you sell, whether you do ads, whether you don't. Um, mm-hmm. And if you if you hire employees as you grow, what kinds of employees you hire? Totally, yeah, yeah. I think it's it's meaningfully different, and it's not like a, like a SaaS like a subscription. So it's not like you know SaaS like uh, I don't know zoom or like um slack or something you're not you're not in a community with the other people who use zoom or slack right it's not a it's a subscription like netflix is not a community it's a subscription for access to stuff uh that that i would definitely call a product even though it's a recurring revenue i would definitely call that a product but if there's a, a community of people that are truly like members and they can interact with each other that totally changes or, or significantly changes the kinds of employees you would hire or the kinds of tasks that need to be getting get done uh, it's like I, there's just there's just like lots of other stuff so yeah I think that's I think that's uh it's weird though is that would you call it a business model though I think it is I think it is it's it could because you could think of it as a product in your product ladder I, I almost I, I kind of almost don't and I think the reason is I'm looking at our list of four authority agency product and we're, we're trying to figure out where to put membership hmm. and I don't deal with a product a, a pure product model at all 
I never deal with that because it's not my expertise. My expertise is around expertise, <laughs> selling expertise and authority. So my when I think of products, and I totally agree that products are a model, I always think of them from a revenue perspective, which is products are a way to package your expertise. But with membership, it's kind of the same thing. You're packaging your expertise, but you're doing it in a very different way. Mm-hmm. And you're typically, typically very visible. Even if you've built a huge community, you're still visible. It's not like you're the CEO behind the scenes getting the salespeople and the service people and the tech people to all do their thing. Mm-hmm. So, so where do you land on that? So does it become one part of an authority business or is does it become its own? I could go either way. But if I were going to slot it within the three, I would put it in the authority model. Because it's tough to sell membership if you're not, you know, at least perceived as an expert on their way to becoming an authority. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it is a little bit of a hybrid there. I, I think if if it was the only thing you sold, then it pro- it would kind of become synonymous with your business model. But I don't and, know. I'm trying to usually, think of someone who just has memberships. Yeah, see, you know what I found is that typically there's a there's a cycle to this so and again this may just be the people that i meet and work with but you you have some, you're building some authority you have a product service ladder right and at some point you go you know i really want to do a membership with this right. and so you you do some kind of a membership and it's one of four things or six things that you offer when it takes off that's when it becomes the one thing. So after a while you go, you know what? I'm putting all my marbles on this play. I'm not available for one-to-one work. I'm not available for this. You know, so I don't know that anybody necessarily starts with a membership model. I think it's something they tend to morph to mm-hmm. as they, you know, as they're going through this journey of of building authority. Mm. I mean, do you, do you see that or do you, do you disagree? Yeah, no, I feel like you described me. So, so mm. that's why I'm kind of interested in that one. Cause it's like, it does feel like it's a high enough level shift where, where it is business model level where you're shifting to, because even in the authority model, there's no, in the pure author, speaker, consultant, author, speaker, coach, there's no recurring. There's very, very few things that are, you're going to sell on a recurring basis other than perhaps an advisory retainer. Most of this, or most bucks. of the sales are like one off. Yeah, but that's a one-off sale. So you're not going to have a subscription. You're not going to have people's credit yes, cards that correct. automatically get charged every month. Correct. So when you switch over to a membership, which presumably, you know, they, some of them are one-time fee. I've seen a few of those. Uh, but in general, when I see them, it's like a monthly fee automatically gets charged. And and you, it's a, it's almost, you know what it's a hybrid between? It's almost like a hybrid between SaaS and, and authority. Because you have to start worrying about things like churn that you'd never, you'd never think of like churn or customer acquisition costs, which are SaaS things, uh, lifetime customer value, stuff mm-hmm. like that. You'd never think about that with an authority model in its purest form. Uh, but once you, if you did decide that you were going to go all in on, uh, you know, recurring revenue membership model, yeah, that that becomes, it becomes a business model for it does because it will it's, change all of your decisions downstream. Yeah. It's it's in a weird way, it's like it's more of a business, right? More of a business than the authority model as a soloist. Because as the soloist, you can go, you know what? I'm gonna take I'm gonna take a month off. I'm just gonna go relax, or I'm gonna mm-hmm. take 
you know, December and the first part of January off and go to Iceland, you know, whatever you're going to do with the membership, it's much more of a day to day business model. Doesn't mean that you can't take off, but it stays in your head in a different way. I always think of it as much more of a, of a traditional, if I can use that word in this, in this sentence, much more of a traditional business model, even though memberships are obviously all still new. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But as you approach it, it feels more like, like other businesses I've been involved in where there's, there's something you have to do every day that's like checklist kind of stuff. Right. Mm-hmm. Oh, did anything break? No. Okay, good. <laughs> are we doing this? Yeah. Uh, you know, how are we moving this? Yeah, it's it's uh, it's more of a more of a traditional business. Agreed. And, and now that now that we're talking about it, I'm looking at this list. Looking at this list we're making, the product one also is one that can ooze out of an, 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 well, either any. I mean, any of these can I suppose ooze into each other. So the you know agency model can ooze into product. You know, that's what 37 Signals yeah. did with Basecamp. Um, that's what Kudal Partners into Field Notes, you know, physical product. Um, and the authority model could ooze into product for sure. Like you just go straight yeah. into um, books, courses, you know, like self, uh, self-paced self video courses. Uh, what's another? So, yeah, I guess there's some oozing going on. I would want it to be conscious if you were going to – you want to consciously ooze. <laughs> Well, I was thinking about some very high-end consultants develop proprietary things that they don't want to sell as a SaaS, but they might want to sell as a like a, a user service. So like an assessment tool is the thing that immediately comes to mind. So you're, you want to assess employees on something and you can, um, uh, you can sell that. Um, you can uh, lease it uh, to various companies. So, so you can have a, a hybrid authority and product model there too. That's typically mm-hmm. not an ooze. That's typically a pretty thoughtful, concrete shift because of how you market it and the liability involved. But yeah. What are some other... So yeah, it kind of reminded me of this sort of franchisee certification model that you see uh, cropping up. So like, you know, past guest Mike Michalowicz has this sort of annual pumpkin plan certification where you get access to use his stuff to on your with your clients or um, I don't know that much about it I think there's also a, a membership aspect to it but you know story brand certification or um, Joe Pine uh, the experience economy uh, one of the, the James Gilmore and Joe Pine have a an experience economy certification type of thing, like certified experience economy consultant or something like that. Mm-hmm. So what would that, is that, I mean, clearly that's got to come from authority. It's almost always going to come from a popular book, right? Like you had a popular book. That's the most common. But the other side of this is that um, it could be that you let's take an example of the authority model where you're a high end trainer to Fortune 500 companies on a thing. Um, That would be an example of something that you could, uh, you know, certify franchise, you know, collect royalties on something like that. Oh, well, so okay. So now I have a friend who um, is a developer, but doesn't sell development services anymore. He used to sell bo- both training and um, consulting development, sort of what like one of those sorts. Like, that's kind of like what I was when I first went solo in 2006. I kind of like wrote books. I did some code. I would do some consulting. So I was, <laughs> you know, kind of doing yeah. a little bit of everything. 
And he decided, he was just not, he just decided, it was like a business level, a strategic level business decision to stop doing any consulting, stop doing any development and go all in on training. And that feels, that feels like a business model shift to me. That's not just a product difference because it ends up creating a whole tree of different kinds of products, mm-hmm. right? So he'll do yeah. his, his and bread services. and butter. Yes. Yeah. So his bread and butter is flying around, uh, you know, and, and teaching for three to five days, teaching people how to do, you know, whatever, some coding thing and all, all different kinds, but, you know, a, a short list, maybe three or four different things that he's perceived as an expert on and um, sells books, sells courses, right? So like, these are things that you probably wouldn't do if you were in the, in the agency model, right? You, where you're just worried about different things. You're totally focused on client work and delivery and probably marketing and sales too. You, you, mm, I might no. disagree a little bit there. I've seen it done in an agency model. Um, it, it, not when things aren't working, but where you have an agency model where you're making money, employees are, are working, the partners are getting along. I have seen them develop things like this. Wait, that yeah. happens? Yeah, I know. I was realizing as I said that. <laughs> <laughs> what land is this that you're, you're living in? So, okay. So that's, that's, <laughs> that was a heavy sigh. So, all right. So what, but let's go into it though. So like, like. I've never, I can't think of an example I've seen of this. So what, just to paint people a picture in case they are kind of agency model, how would you tack on? Oh no, duh. Right. When I was at the, when I was at the, uh, the FileMaker firm, we had a non-trivial training business. That's, I can't believe I forgot that. Um, Where Uh, we would do, yeah, we had, we got certified by FileMaker, the company to to, you know, they had this like certification materials and these workbooks that you would buy from them. They're like the company made them, the, the, the platform company made them. FileMaker printed up all of these, you know, spiral bound, huge textbook workbook things. And then you would buy them and you were certified to go teach people how to use FileMaker using the company's materials. So yeah, that was, that was a non-trivial, uh, I don't know how much revenue we generated from that, but it was a big undertaking. And you can generate significant revenue with some of those kinds of things. I'm thinking of a firm I worked with a number of years ago that very high-end collegial firm. In other words, it was mostly partners. It wasn't like a a real highly leveraged firm with a gazillion employees. It was maybe 10 partners and, you know, maybe twice as many employees, something like that. And they developed, they had a point of view and they wrote books um, and they were great thinkers. And then they developed a thing. I don't want to give away who they are, but they developed a thing that they used in their own projects. And it, when it was so well received, they started to think, huh, I wonder if there's a way, because this is a really small boutique kind of firm. I wonder if there's a way we could get this into more hands. It wasn't just about the money, but you know the money played an important part. And so they created something that they would license to certain kinds of companies. And they, you know, because it was a, a you know a real partnership, they 
had to agree on what kinds of companies could actually license this. It wasn't about anybody could get it, but there had to be certain levels of commitment from the C-suite in order to use this. There were certain things, kind of benchmarks that organizations had to reach in order to be able to buy this. So yeah, there, I mean, there's a lot of ways you could you could do this, but I, I do think that you have to have a functional firm first. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, I don't know what. Yeah, so I think the the thing that I'm noticing is that there's more blurriness here than I think I was expecting. Where it's kind of like a certain product, like a product line, could kind of take off and cause you to make a decision to say, like, yeah, you know what? Um, I would rather have customers than clients or something. So I'm gonna I'm gonna execute a pivot, perhaps across a course of a year or two to reconstitute my business in a way that would support that right like i mean mm-hmm. i guess i guess the one po- the one time when you've got a clean slate is if you're just setting up shop and you're going to pick one and in like and how do you do that so i feel like that would be clean but but i feel like like going cold turkey have you ever seen anyone do that like go cold turkey no. from yeah it's right because you gotta keep yeah. the lights on well and now you see why i separate business model and revenue model Mm. Right. Because you can decide to do one thing as a business, but then there will be opportunities that come up as you go to earn revenue. And I mean, that's why we're all kind of always in a little bit of flux because we're looking at, you know, what's the next thing? Where do we want to take ourselves? Where do we want to take the business? Where do we want to take our audience? What do we want to teach them? How do we want them to transform? Mm -hmm. I didn't mean to take something simple and make it complex, but that it, it really, that's how I think about it. And so I don't know that we have to be, you know, super rigid about thinking about these these business models. I think the key is that you want to have a plan, whether you just started or you've been doing this for 30 years, on how you're going to make your money, right? Or build value would be another mm-hmm. way to, to look at that. How are you going to do that? And I, I just believe that the clearer understanding we have of our own strengths and weaknesses and what it is we want to achieve will make those decisions easier. It's like there's, when I started my first business, it never occurred to me for it not to have employees. Like I never even thought about it. Of course (laughs) I'm going to have employees. I'm going to build an empire, right? (laughs) And so, yeah, and I think what happens for a lot of us, at least in the US, I don't know if this is as common uh, outside say North America, but you think when you build a business that you have to have employees, that that's the way you're going to do it. And you have to do this, you know, what I call the bro hustle model, um, which is like, well, we got to work all the time and I'm working harder than you and I'm more exhausted. I worked 90 hours last week. So it's really, you know, thinking past what maybe we think we're supposed to do and really getting clear on what it is we want to build. Yep. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking down the list and... And the one that scares me the most, or the one that I would say is the riskiest to experiment with is the agency model. I don't know if you agree or disagree with that, but like, yeah, because that one's the one that you, you're playing with people's lives in that one. Yeah. I I always, when somebody says to me, I'm thinking about hiring someone, I say, well, you know, I think I'm ready to hire someone. I'm like, well, are you ready to fire someone? Because you need to be ready to fire someone also. Yeah. And, and almost nobody says yes to that. It's yeah, like you who really, wants to do you know, that? 
Right. They're all thinking of like, oh, this is going to be so great. I'm going to have my empire. And, you know, and I always reveal my personal bias against having employees. But, you know, because sometimes I have a couple of students who are just superhuman delegators, just unbelievable. And they're, you know, don't micromanage, just like, take care of this, please. You know, <laughs> they're great mm -hmm. at it. They're great yeah. at it. Super organized, real clear instructions, lots of, you know, setting people up for success. That's great. I'm not against it for everyone by any stretch of the imagination, but I do, it does freak me out when people don't go into it with their eyes wide open about what it's going to be like. So, but the other things, product, membership, training, those things you can experiment with without, you know, you can have do real cheap experiments without messing with somebody's life that, um, that are always what attracted me to those other things since employees were sort of verboten for me. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot of people who get into this, um, you know, starting their own business, and maybe they start as a freelancer, and then they're kind of working their way up the, the chain. And they and they come to a point where they think, you know, I really, I think maybe hiring employees is the best way for me to serve clients. And there are situations, depending on what you do, where you want to work in a team way, but it doesn't have to be employees. And so that's the other thing is I think a lot of people tend to conflate hiring an employee with hiring contractors. And those are really quite different, even though they look real similar on the outside. So mm -hmm. it's you know really thinking through what you're trying to do. And if you're excited, I mean, to me, that's the first thing is, can you get excited about hiring employees? Because if you're kind of like, I guess I have to hire right. an employee, yeah. just don't. Okay, just yeah. don't. Call yeah. us and we'll talk you through doing something differently. Um, <laughs> but yeah, if you're excited about it, the key is to, you know, like I said earlier, is to figure out how you're going to do it. Write it all out. It's like when we talk about hiring a VA just as a contractor, write down what you want that person to do and how is that going to make your life easier? How is it going to grow your business? How is it going to contribute to your bottom line or to your quality of life? So, you know, those are the things to really zero in on, you know, more so than, you know, what we call this model or that model. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And in the past, whenever I've exper experimented with VAs, it was always... Two, two things happened. I don't know if this, I think this is relevant, but it's in support of your advice to write out what they're going to do and how that's going to make your life better and, and decide whether or not the money is worth it. It is what I would, I've hired people in the past where I was like, I thought that they were going to be kind of busy with all of the stuff that I wasn't getting to. And they actually got like plowed through it real fast. And I had <laughs> yeah. nowhere near enough work or nowhere near as much work as I thought I had. Nowhere mm -hmm. near. And so then what happens is even though it was like contract situation, but even in that situation, it's like I start looking for stuff for them to do. Yes. Because, you know what I mean? Yep. To, to kind of keep them busy. And then that stuff is not, was not worth it. But there's this other, this sort of emotional cost of like, well, you know, I kind of gave them the impression that there'd be 10 or 20 hours a week of stuff I needed done. And it turns out there were like 20 hours total. Yeah. And now, right. Now we're and, at an hour a week. <laughs> yeah. And I didn't even want to fire a contractor. So it's like, I just, uh, so anyway, so I love the advice, write down what the stuff is and not how you're going to keep them busy, but how they are going to add value to you, like your life, yeah. your business, right? Like how yeah. is this actually positive for you? Cause if you're just, if you're just grabbing someone because you have too much work on your plate, well get some, just stop doing some of the work. 
like stop taking no. on so many yeah. customers, right? Say yeah. no, that's an option. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think there it becomes a slippery slope, um, you know, and it's we start to give people things that we really don't want to give away, or we say yes um, because we like the person. Um, you know, I learned that lesson uh, when I was in the big firm and it, we went through our first layoff. The firm had never had a layoff and I was there for the first one and I'll never forget what it felt like. And I wasn't letting anybody go. I, I was junior, but I remember what that felt like watching some people who I thought were really good go out the door because we, and some of them were really hiring mistakes that should have been fixed years ago. And so when I got into a position where I was you know, managing people, I, I wasn't shy about letting them go early if it wasn't working because I thought even though it was hard, it was a favor to them that they not get blindsided by something. So I would have the conversation, maybe give them three months to find something while they stayed. Well, I, I still remember some people called me the Terminator because what happened is because I did that and they still talked to me when it was over and they found jobs that were good for them, that all of a sudden the poor performers, the person who was in charge of this thing, kept sending them to my team. And I'm like, seriously, you're giving me this guy? Like, no, but you're giving me him because nobody wants him because he can't do the work. So, you know, three months later, the person would be gone. But I learned that lesson. I know that sounds like, makes me sound like a terrible person. But <laughs> I really felt that it was important that people understand where they stand, what they need to do to be successful, and that they could talk about it openly. And I mean, we had some people that were, you know, in their late 40s, mid 50s, they weren't going to find another job easily. Mm. And watching those people get laid off, it was really, I'll never forget that it really imprinted on me. So mm. yeah, I just I do feel really strongly that when we hire employees, we have an obligation doesn't mean it's all going to turn out well doesn't mean we're not going to make mistakes but we have an obligation to do our best you know for yeah. us and for the person yeah totally and in and, and the you know and just keep in mind it's just one way to create leverage there's a bunch of other ways exactly so for you know what that, i'm thinking is we need to get aaron austin on here to talk about some of those other ways to, you know, the, this idea of, you know, franchising and certification. I mean, she's the, she's mm, the expert idea. on this. Yeah. yeah we yeah. should have her on. Beyond IP. Isn't that her? Yeah. Yes. That great. Beyond IP. See, positioned the IP lawyer. I have to say that the name of her podcast, you're going to love it's hourly to exit. <laughs> nice. <laughs> I love it. That's yeah. Great. It's a great name. Yeah. We should do that. We will. So are there any, I have like one sort of like fringe business model that a couple of people I've worked with have toyed with, uh, but I can't think of any, I can't think of any others after that. But the last one is kind of like a media company model where, ah, yes, yeah, where they've, they've got podcasts and mailing lists and, and, you know, extremely high level of expertise recognized as authorities, but they straight up sell ads and, yeah. uh, and do very well, you know, so uh, that's, I feel like that does, to me, that's fringe, um, but it is it is another one, so I wanted to list well, it. Well, it's kind of like the high-end, high, high, high-end authority model, right? If you get to the point where, you know, whether it's books or whether it's a podcast or a TV show, you know, where you've got something that just needs that media 
that constant media presence that, mm. it, I, and I like calling it a media model. Yeah, I see it as mm-hmm. very high end because it's a direction you can go in if your um, your authority, your content, uh, your point of view takes you in that direction. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and again, you're, you're you're if you did hire anyone, you'd be a wildly different set of people. You know, maybe be like PR and uh, I don't know, like wardrobe people. <laughs> I don't know, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but well, I mean, Carrie, uh, who Carrie. How do you oh, say Carrie Laughlin. No, Laughlin. She, she, I wouldn't call hers a media model um, mm-hmm. because she's, I mean, she's doing design work. I mean, she's in there doing it, but she has a hefty media component, mm-hmm. you know, and she's had a, she's had a show. Um, she's got a wildly popular Instagram profile. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Okay. Have we, have we left out? I don't think we've left out any common business model. I mean, there's a million business models. Yeah, these oh, are you know. these are the ones we see most often in, in right, our space. Our space, yeah. Yeah. And yeah, you know, that's the beauty of it. Our space is really simpler. I mean, we're not making right. widgets. We don't have to figure out how to get, you know, two hundred and five and you know, parts all together, delivered from forty nine different countries and put it all together and then figure out how to sell it. We're for you know, real. Yeah. Ours is so much simpler. Yeah. If you don't have to deal with inventory, count your blessings. Oh, um, okay. goodness. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So that might be a good place to leave it. Do we have anything else? No, I think that'll do it. All right. Well, that's it for this week. I'm Jonathan Stark. And I'm Rochelle Moulton. And we hope you join us again next time for the Business of Authority. Bye. Bye-bye. <laughs>